The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Hello and welcome to Baseball Barbacast, the only baseball podcast in the world, recording from 5.30 a.m. in Oakland, California. I'm Jake Mintz, that's Jordan Schusterman, and I am way too early for today's afternoon game for the A's. That's just commitment uh, to covering a team we have spent many podcasts talking about this year. Yes, the Oakland A's coming off a huge victory over the Arizona Diamondbacks. We're not going to talk about that game. But yes, Jake, you are on the other side of the country. You took a long flight to get there. Uh, you have a, a wedding to attend this coming weekend. We both have pretty crazy schedules right now. That's why I was off on Monday. Thank you to Russ Dorsey for pinch hitting for me. I hope that was okay, but I'm happy to be back and it's great to see you. Good to see you too, Jordan. The show goes on. We must continue to pod. And on this show, we're going to talk about Blue Jays, Yankees, Peekaboo Gate, Sticky Fingers, Domingo, the third base coach positioning scandal rocking our sport. Then we will talk about the Cardinals looking a little bit better. Unfortunately, run through some Tommy John surgeries, Victor Wembanyama playing baseball, the worst way to lose a perfect game. And then I will talk about my upcoming trip to the Oakland Coliseum, and that will be our show. But before we do all that, Jordan, I just want to say, I took a, a cross-country flight yesterday, all right, um, in coach because, you know, we're regular people, and I got off the plane, and my back hurt so freaking much. Mm. And when I did that, like, I'm like a pretty regular-sized guy. Like, I'm probably a little bit bigger than the average American man, but like not that much, right? And I get off this plane and my back is howling. And I'm like, I, you're telling me I got to go play three against the A's? Like, and it really made, I understand that ball players are flying often private in nice seats on planes. But when you get off a plane, you just feel like shit, man. You just feel like shit. And it made me appreciate Cal Ripken. To be honest with you, that's a that's a I mean, I, that's most of Jake's everyday experience is going through things and ending up appreciating Cal Ripken more. But yeah, no, I agree. <laughs> get on a flight, get off a flight, appreciate Cal Ripken. Repeat. That's Jake Mintz's life. Yeah, no, but it, it's true. It is it is a, an underrated part. Now, listen, not that people are going to feel bad for the major league travel experience and, and all that. And this is, happens in other sports, too, particularly the NBA, where they're flying even more often uh, in shorter periods because they're not playing series and they're just zooming all over the country. Yeah, it is a real thing. It is an unpleasant thing. But that is also a good way to set the stage for our, our first topic for today, which is uh, one of my favorite uh, goofiest. I mean, to call it even a scandal is, is ridiculous. But uh, earlier this week, the Blue Jays and Yankees began, I believe, their first series of the season. They have not yet yet played this year. Um, False. I False. False. Nope. Already, already wrong. I apologize. They played one series at Yankee Stadium. At Yankee I Stadium. was there. 
Okay, so first yes. first time for the Yankees in Toronto. Uh, but these two teams are in a very interesting place as we sit here in mid-May because they are both desperately trying to chase down the Rays and the Orioles, which is just funny, right, for the Blue Jays and the Yankees. The Blue Jays that have really built up this team, the Yankees, who are the Yankees. And so you can sense that while both these teams have been playing pretty well lately, both of them are a little bit on edge, a little bit on edge. And we've seen that this rivalry, particularly in the standing, seems to feel a little bit more tense and more, you know, um, uh, testy, we should say, than the Yankees and Rays, where, yes, they also don't like each other, but the Rays are like, yeah, we're chilling. We're, we're eight games ahead of you. We're just kicking your ass all the time. Like, we're not really too concerned. We're not stressed about it. Well, Yankees-Rays disdain is more simple. Like, they just don't like each other. But n- things don't actually happen. It's just like guys throwing inside and the yeah, guy gets hit. and They're yelling at each other. For, I mean, I know since CC retired, we haven't had as much direct altercations. Uh, but, you know, they, they've had some stuff. But again, like this year, what are you going to do? Like the Rays are the best team in baseball and the Yankees are just trying to get healthy and get back on it. But these two teams who are now tied in the standings as we sit here on Wednesday morning, this week just gave us a have so far given us an incredible array of just very petty nonsense that is perfect podcast fodder. I feel bad for their country, but this is tremendous content. The well Jays said. who have lost both of these games so far. Let's just run through what happened, okay? Uh, late in the game on Monday, the Jays broadcast catches Aaron Judge moving his eyes from the pitcher to the side, we'll say, right before hitting a home run, okay? And they then, I don't want to say speculate. I don't think that's necessarily the right word. They raise questions about what he could possibly be doing, right? Mm -hmm. Which is their job. You see something out of the ordinary, one of the best hitters on the planet, not looking at the pitcher seconds before hitting a home run, is notable and worth pointing out. And I think that the I understand Judge's general like un, lack of comfort with what the Jays announcers did. Like he's a baseball player. Whatever. Like that's fine. But I don't think that they made a mistake in any way. And I just want to put that on the table. This is like Shulman and Martinez. Like these guys are pros. Yeah. So sure. I don't think they deserve any hate. Um so anyway, that happens. Judge is asked about it after the game. He makes up a story about how they were chirping in the dugout and he was checking in on them or like telling them to be quiet, which is not something you do with your eyes and not something baseball players would ever, you know, do right before the pitch was coming. Uh, And that that set the stage for yesterday. Do yes. you want to hop in now or what, like, how do you want to go? Well, about so, well, we also have more recent reporting, which is basically, uh, okay. So at that point I was like, oh my God, what's he looking at? This is crazy. How, how, what kind of nefarious stuff are the Yankees up to? And as we started to talk to people around the, around the game, it was like, okay, so what, what is likely happening here? And what it became clear is like, okay, well, looking into the dugout for them to be putting up a waving and being like, hey, there's a slider coming. That's probably not what's happening, right? (laughs) Especially when you take a look at where the dugouts are Mm -hmm. in the stadium. They're like pretty far back. Mm -hmm. Like he would really need to almost turn his head to be looking into the dugout, which one means his uh, 
his like excuse is probably bullshit. <laughs> well, okay. I right. want to get back to his excuse at, at the end because I think that's an important part of this conversation, which I'm fascinated by. Um, so I want to move I, the, his response to the side. But he's not looking in the dugout, right? Yes. Yes. So where is he looking? So it, it seems that in all likelihood, uh, he was looking towards the first base coach who in some way was indicating that he had identified the pitches, roughly pitch types, that Jay Jackson, the reliever that came in, was throwing. Jay Jackson has since essentially verified, admitted to The Athletic this morning in in an interview uh, with Ken Rosendahl, being like, yes, they told me I was tipping something. People first were speculating, oh, maybe it was the catcher, Kirk, and sometimes you see, sometimes you see guys peeking back or feeling out, you know, location or whatever, or, or maybe Kirk's signs were being picked if his, his leg was more open. But it seems that Jay Jackson has identified, clearly the team told him like, hey, dude, this was happening. Which brings up the the concept of, okay, so the batter is receiving signs from the first base coach who has identified them in game. Now, the first thing to say is there's nothing wrong with that. Everyone who plays baseball says everyone is, you know this, right? I know this. Everyone says you can pick signs if you're not using technology or Apple watches or trash cans or whatever. If you can identify something with the pitcher, then you can communicate that to the hitter. And it seems that that is what happened with the Yankees here. And so what that has presented is two very funny things. One, the idea that Okay, even though we seem to accept that that is reasonable, and the Blue Jays know that too, their takeaway was, and this is where the petty juvenile goofiness comes in, their takeaway was, even if they, now Jay Jackson corroborates, admit that that was probably what was happening, they would like the first base coach to not stand, I guess, in a more easy way to look at the, for the batter to look at them than where the Yankees first base coach was standing, which presented this very goofy thing in Tuesday's game where both coaches were yelling at the umpires to tell the base coaches to stand in the box that is designated for them, which no one ever stands in ever. If you watch any game, that is never a place you will basically ever see the first base coach or third base coach standing. It is one of the funnier things we have in sports, and this is the first time it has actually become relevant, and I love it. Here's what I love about this whole thing, Jordan. A day ago, you had no interest in having this conversation. You were so out on this whole topic. And then we got some first base coach box drama and you are giddy like a kid on Christmas morning. It is so adorable. The Aaron Boone yelling and being like pointing and being like, hey, hey, Louis, he's standing there where he's not supposed to stand. He's not standing where he's not supposed to You know, we thought we were going to be having this with the shift where you'd have coaches be like, oh, can't stand there, right? We talked about the new rules. Oh, can't stand there. No one was thinking about the base coaches. Maybe this is a distraction. Maybe we're having the base coaches stand in certain ways as a distraction for for other stuff. I'm going to put my baseball hardo hat on for a second. And I'm going to try and reasonably explain why there's so much consternation about where the base coach is standing, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So Travis Chapman, who is the Yankees' first base coach, in theory, this is like where John Schneider is coming from, was standing so far outside of the box that he was creating an angle for himself to see the pitches that Jay Jackson was throwing and then relaying that back to Judge. Now, how was he relaying it back to Judge? That can be uh, arms crossed versus not arms crossed. It can be like twirling a stopwatch. It could be all any kind of number of simple things that you might see at like a poker table if two people are cheating together, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's why John Schneider's like, 
you know, hey, you're in an abnormal position and you are stealing the signs, you're picking up the signs based upon where you're standing. We need to tone that down, okay? Any conversation, by the way, about the third base coach moving around a lot, I saw some of this on Twitter last night, that's just totally dependent on whether there's a runner on second base. So I think someone like tweeted out, oh, here's where the Yankees guy is, here's where the Blue Jays guy is. If you're a third base coach and there's a guy in second, your job is to get like as far down the line towards home as possible to make a read and then hold a guy up or to wave a guy through. So that's that. My One of my favorite parts about this whole thing, okay, is that what the Yankees have done here or have seemingly done here is permissible within the moral code of Major League Baseball and baseball as a whole. In college, we used to do this all the time. We would relay signs verbally to a header, okay? So what they've done is totally fine. Wait, can you clarify what that means? Because some people listening, mean, what do you mean verbally? You would just yell, hey, it's a fastball. (laughs) (laughs) If the other team sucked, yeah, we would know. Um, So what that means would be like, if it's a fastball, we would be like, uh, the first thing someone would say would be the hitter's name, right? And so you have a trigger man, basically. So there's one person who's usually the biggest nerd on your team who's decoded the other team's signs. Because in college, they're relaying signs, the coaches from the dugout to the catcher before pitch comp, right? And so, like, that's how the signs are getting into the game, and then you can pick them from that. So, like, you would have one kid be like, hey, now, buddy, right? And, like, hey, now, buddy would be, like, change up. And then, like, the whole dugout starts kind of going, hey, buddy, hey, now, buddy, hey, buddy, hey, now, right? You'd be like, crush one, C, curveball, right? There are a bunch of different ways you can do it. Um, But it just creates a very funny scenario. Anyway, so that is like totally regular, reasonable in all levels of competitive baseball. But it is not reasonable enough for the Yankees to admit that they are doing this. And that is what I find so fascinating. Yes, yes. The Blue Jays are chill with what the Yankees have done. For mostly, right? Maybe there's some third base or first base coach drama, whatever. Okay. The Blue Jays know that what happened was fine. And the Yankees know that what happened was fine. But yet they can't admit it because baseball's moral code is very bizarre. And they don't want to give away to other teams that they're doing this, right? But it's clear now that other teams know that the Yankees are doing this and will be protecting for it. And so we're living in this very bizarre middle ground where Aaron Judge is like, I was checking in on the boys, wink, and like won't say what's actually happening. It is so freaking weird. That is exactly what I wanted to get to when I said I wanted to get back to Aaron Judge's excuse because to me, we've all accepted it's it's clear through the reporting there's going to be no investigation into what they're doing because again, everyone understands we just heard the Blue Jays pitcher say yes, that's what was happening. I have to fix it, right? We all know. And so let's let's talk about this a little bit more. Why can't, especially when it's a Yankees game, we're all watching it, everyone's already talking about it. He's already hit the home run, whatever, right? Um, what is... What is the downside of saying, uh, yeah, we had something and, uh, you know, that was what happened because this is part of the game and ha ha ha. Because the 2017 Houston Astros and the other, whenever you reference this, right, the Astros fans are like, there were other teams doing shady shit at the time. doesn't matter. You were the ones who got caught and punished more than anybody else. You're the face of it. 
deal with it, move on, whatever. The 2017 Astros and their trash can banging and their electronic usage made us all into tinfoil hat detectives, okay? And so whenever something like this comes up, a lot of fans struggle to differentiate between what is cheating and what is normal science dealing. And so if Judge were to come out and be like, yeah, we were picking the signs, there are going to be, you know, hundreds of thousands of people booing him and calling him a cheater, which is not the case. And so it is simpler for him to just play it like this because, you know, for us, people who are listening to the show, we're in so deep, right? Where Judge saying this, like, we know what's actually going on. But if Judge were to say, yeah, I was picking signs, like, Sports Center is tweeting that out. That's on the A block of every like talk show in the morning, right? For sports. Like that's big, big news if he says, yeah, we're stealing signs. And people won't be able to differentiate between the two and it hurts his reputation. And so it's just simpler to make up a dumb lie and move forward. Yeah. But to your point originally, that is such a goofy part of this because most people are on board with being like, yeah, sometimes this happens if a pitcher is is you know tipping in this way and you're allowed to do it and whatever and yet uh we have to pretend like that's not a thing um, but I, I hear you i hear you i i don't know if i've told this story on this show before but my senior year of college when i was like miraculously really good i had like a four out save which is a hilarious concept against a team that we played every year and it was the last time we were playing them my senior year and after the game One of the guys, like the best hitter on the other team came up to me and said, hey, man, by the way, you tip your change up behind your back when you come set. I can see your pitch grip. You want to nail that down moving forward, right? And so, like, this is something that people in all levels of the game are always looking for. You don't have to be that kind, right? Like, this guy's idea was, oh, I'm never going to face this guy again the rest of my life. Like, I'll just be a good dude, right? Right. Right, which is quite the opposite of this Yankees-Blue Jays situation. Another reason why they're not going to come out and be like, hey, Jay Jackson, you might want to fix that. Um, now, at the same time, there's <laughs> obviously the Blue Jays are going to figure that out. They already have. So it's not like the Yankees are the ones that have to inform him. Here's a, here's a thought I have, okay? I Why is Jay Jackson talking to Rosenthal about this? Like, I think that's an interesting dynamic here because if you read some of the reporting this morning, like, They asked John Schneider about Jackson's comments and he like declined to comment on those comments. And so we already can see there Schneider being like, I'm not touching what Jay Jackson said. And what Jay Jackson, the pitcher said was, I was tipping. They told me I was tipping. Shows us how like certain people are willing to admit to what's actually going on and certain people are not. It's also, yeah, because related to this, and we've had other issues like this before, even when it hasn't involved somebody, you know, side-eyeing a, a first base coach, where some pitchers would like, w- do want to admit they were tipping because that makes them feel better. And some of them think it's too embarrassing, right? You you see both mindsets where it's like, oh, this is actually really embarrassing for me that I'm a major league pitcher and I'm giving away my pitches. Or they say, oh, well, it's way better that I was tipping instead of me being shitty. <laughs> so, so sometimes they more readily, uh, more readily admit that. So I agree that now. I as for why he's talking to whether the team wanted him to talk to to Ken Rosenthal or whatever. Like I, I, I can't speak to that. I think that is interesting, but it is fascinating to me how you see different approaches in regards to responding to whether a, a, a pitcher was tipping or not. Last thing I want to say here. Why is this such a big story, right? Why are we leading 
the front of the show with it. Why is it all over the Twitter machine? It's actually pretty simple. It's Aaron Judge and the New York Yankees. If this was anybody else on any other team except for like maybe Shohei, yes, we it would not be as big of a deal. Yep. But yep. it is literally the face. It is the eyes of the sport mm-hmm. that we are talking about here. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's news. Because if Aaron Judge freaking sneezes and stubs his toe and misses a game, that's news. Mm-hmm. And so this is a very... I think how this started was not news. And it was only news because of Aaron Judge. But it does provide a really fascinating insight into some into how certain things in baseball work that I am now compelled by it, and that is why we, the weirdos on this show, have chosen to talk about it so yes. much. And I think that's a good a good place to leave it. Um, listen, I, also, we had the whole, you know, Domingo Herman getting ejected for sticky stuff for, what, the second time, or at least the second time. I have nothing else to say other than that, other than he seems like he's really bad at cheating. <laughs> and, you know, we have the umpire saying it was the stickiest hand he's ever felt, and it's like, that's hey, hilarious yo. too. But it's also, it's like, you know what? I mean, honestly, that's kind of, I know people are like, oh, well, how, what does that mean? How, how are we quantifying that? We've talked about, you know, quantifying the stickiness, but like, honestly, like I actually kind of buy that from the standpoint of the umpires are feeling hands literally all the time now. And so they do at least have a reference point for what that feels like, even if they don't know what it is. So, and considering it's Herman who already has had these things happen to him, like, what are you going to do? You're going to give him the benefit of the doubt? No. So he's gone. See ya. Like a, a politician running for office on the campaign trail, shaking all those hands, probably has a good feel for hand stickiness, right? right? So, and the umpires uh, are in the same spot. Here's the thing I will say about Herman. One yeah. is so telling about any given baseball disagreement is how angry and despondent and kind of inflamed a particular manager is, right? Aaron Boone was 30,000 miles from incredulous during the Domingo Herman stuff. And then a couple innings later was losing his mind over the third base coach stuff. Exactly. And so that tells me that this was a legitimate expulsion, right? And that his hands were big sticky. Yeah. If Boone, like, remember what happened with Scherzer, okay? Like, remember how much people were freaking out with Scherzer. Ever, no one was freaking out here. They're like, this is like, oh, this dummy. Here we go again. Yeah, um, just get, so, yeah, get some better stuff, dude. Come on. Yeah, very embarrassing. Uh, the last thing, and again, I just think the Jays Yankees rivalry will be an interesting thing to watch because of the standings. And of course, Red Sox Yankees will, in theory, reign supreme. But I think the AL East in general just has all these fascinating matchups. And because of where they are in the standings, I think it's going to be a great just all season long, as long as they stay close, because they will be fighting for those same spots. If the division is completely out of reach, like it's going to, it's going to get really, really, really dicey. Remember, you know, a year ago, the Yankees were running away with things the way that Tampa was, but it means a little bit different when, when the Yankees are the ones in, in third and fourth place. And you see, I think the Yankees are seven and a half out right now, mm-hmm. right? I just want to remind people, that's just like two games a month. That's really not that much. Like, it's a big number in our heads right now because when we think of seven and a half out, we think of seven and a half out like during the stretch run. But if if you told me that the Yankees were going to be two games better than the Rays the last four months of the year, I'd be like, yeah, sure. Right? And like, that's the difference. And so I just think 
I gotta keep telling people it's freaking May. There's so much time left. There is, there is. But again, I do think where they are right now contributes to the level of urgency yeah. that we see in yeah. these games. And uh, the last thing I'll say before we send it to break is the most important thing uh, regarding Aaron Judge this week is that he's fucking back. And he is incredible. And even though he missed a couple weeks, he now has 11 home runs. And remember, last year, the home run race was completely uninteresting. I mean, it was just him and then a bunch of guys 10 or 15 back from him. I think this year's home run race is going to be way more interesting with guys like Pete, guys like Muncie. Like I could see Pete and, and Judge going back and forth. I think it's going to be a, a really fun thing to watch this season. And, and he's right back in it. Like, again, it was like, oh, Aaron Judge. Is it? No, he's, he's amazing. Like, come on. Last year, the home run race was Aaron Judge and the ghost of Roger Maris. Um, <laughs> that'll be all for the first chunk of our show. I'm Jake. That's Jordan. We will be back after the break to talk about a Thomas Johnson, a famous surgery. Hey, everybody. I'm James Hinchcliffe. And I'm Alexander Rossi. And we're the hosts of Off Track with Hinch and Rossi. The biggest race on the IndyCar calendar, the Indianapolis 500, is right around the corner, which means the much-anticipated docuseries 100 Days to Indy has begun. Each Thursday, right after new episodes of the show drop on The CW, we'll be dropping our own reaction podcast on the Off Track feed as we break down everything that we saw in the episode and talk about which one of our friends are really putting it on for the camp. Listen to Off Track now on Stitcher, Apple, or wherever you get your podcasts. And welcome back to Baseball Barbacast. I'm Jake Mitz. That's Jordan Schusterman. Jordan, the St. Louis Cardinals, they lost last night, but they are starting to turn the ship around. They are still moored in the Suez Canal, blocking all tra uh, shipping traffic. Uh, however, we're starting to see some signs of life. I'm glad we're starting with the Cardinals here in the second half, coming off of what you just said about the New York Yankees because the New York Yankees and the Toronto Blue Jays are seven and a half back. And Jake's saying, they're saying, oh, this is so much time, so much time, so much time. I hear that, but I also still look at their division and, and they have the Tampa Bay Rays who are amazing. And I don't know what they have to do to convince you, but they are amazing. The Cardinals today have a far worse record than the New York Yankees after losing again last night. They're 17 and 26, but they too are just seven and a half back on Wednesday morning. And when I look at them in that division, I feel much better despite all of the chaos and embarrassing sequence of events that has happened with the Cardinals this year. I feel much better about their chances to get back into the mix for the division than the Yankees or the Blue Jays because I respect the Rays that much. So the most important thing that has happened in the last week, sure, Wilson Contreras has returned to catcher, but Nolan Arenado has homered in five straight games. Wake up, wake up, wake up, wake yourself up, wake up. Nolan Arenado is back, baby. Here is what rules about this. When players are off the slow starts and everyone's like really concerned, sometimes what will happen is we'll wake up in September and we'll look at their line and they gradually inch themselves back to being really good over the course of the season and they end up being the same as they always were after a slow start, and then they're like better than average. They're better than their own average over the course of the year. Arenado was like, uh, give me like a week. I got Arenado, this. Just give me like a week. He woke up on May 3rd with a 590 OPS. That was two weeks ago, okay? He wakes up today with a 753 OPS. 
He has raised at 150 points in two weeks. He has homered in five straight games. It seems he was particularly embarrassed about not even being the best Nolan on his team. Uh, shout out to Nolan Gorman, who has been tremendous and also a huge part of the Cardinals' success relatively recently. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they go into Boston, they sweep. I know they, they lost last night, but they kicked the shit out of Milwaukee on Monday. And again, like, I don't know if the Contreras situation is actually resolved or going to be any better if they just decided, like, fuck it, we have to put him back there and see what happens. I still am not particularly enthused about the pitching. Uh, but again, like I said, I, I feel better about them getting back in the mix than, uh, than, than the Yankees do, just considering the division. Jordan, can you open your Slack for a sure. second? Yeah. Oh, can no, I, I see. I know what you're I was going to bring this up before. Yeah, go ahead. Can you read out the last Slack message I sent to you, please? Yes. Last night, I, 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 were you still on the plane? I would love to know the the, sad, the, the situation you were in. But at 9.25 p.m. Eastern time last night, Jake messaged me, I think the Cardinals win the division. And I believe that was like, was it right before they lost or right after they lost? <laughs> the, ti- the timing of it was, was funny. But either way, I, you're on the record. You have it here saying on May 16th that you believe the Cardinals will win the division. So that could look well. I'll, I'll hit you with the old takes confirmed if that does t- come to be true. So, like, the pitching really definitely stinks. Like, it, it definitely is not good. I don't think it's as bad as it's been. And I think this lineup is amazing. Yeah, no, same. And I think I'm, that totally. they have been – like, you look at the Pythagorean record, right? You look at where their, their projected – Win total should be, and it's so much higher than what it's been. Now, some of that is that the bullpen is really soft. I think some of that will come back to level, like the equilibrium will be all right. And I just think this team rakes. Like, they just have so many dudes. Like, now that Nolan Gorman is legit, 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 I think this team is going to be fine. I think that there's enough runway for them to claw themselves back in in a bad division, and I'm not as worried as I was a week ago. And now they're throwing Contreras back there again. And everything seems to be fine. I'm so confused about Contreras about like, what did he do for a week that made them comfortable with this? They, what they should have done is they should have been like, Oh, well he's got like a weird knee thing. That's just bothering him. And he's not going to squat for a week. We're just going to have him DH for a week just to, he can work on some stuff. Totally. They could have done that. They could have just DH'd him like a couple more times and it would have been like, okay. It could have been a non-story and instead they were like, he's not catching. And then a week later, like, okay, he's catching again. Super. A smart man once said to me, sometimes you have a PR problem and sometimes you just have a problem. Hmm. This was a PR problem. (laughs) Yes. It was not a problem. Uh, The one other thing I'll say on the Cardinals is I'm actually more worried about the starters than the bullpen. If that's if oh way cr- way more worried about the starters. Yeah, yeah. Like the bullpen. Like Helsley had a couple weird outings early, but like he still picked it up recently. Like I think Stratton's pretty good. Gallegos is pretty good. Like it's not a, it's not a strength. It's not a, it doesn't look great compared to some of the other better teams in the league. But I, I'm more concerned about you know Michaelis getting just crushed and Flaherty who just had the best start of his season but like him and Mats and Wainwright I still have no idea what I'm getting there not particularly excited so that those still worry me more but I agree with you like even with guys like Carlson and, and Burleson really underperforming you know Walker's still in the minors O'Neill, like those young outfielders are really not 
showing up, right? O'Neal Hurt, he hasn't been good. But DeYoung has been great, right? And Newt Bar has been great. And of course, as we mentioned, Nolan Gorman has been tremendous. So I agree with you. I think it's still a top 10 lineup. And, and I think if, if Arenado's clicking now, then, then you know now we go. And they have enough pieces where they can trade something for a starter if they need to. You know what I mean? Like they, they can go get reinforcements if they're in the mix in the middle of the season, if yep. that's the way they want to go with it. Yep, I agree. All right. One Let's, guy that they oh, won't yeah. be trading for <laughs> is Kamar Rocker. Now, there are a lot of reasons they wouldn't be trading for him because <laughs> he's on a contending it? team yes. and he's in the minor leagues. Uh, but unfortunately, Kamar Rocker, it was announced that he will be getting Thomas Johnson on his strong right arm. Jordan, first thought. I mean, it sucks. We had Kamar Rocker on our show um, a couple years ago. He is has honestly been a pretty fascinating character as a as on and off the field. But again, like it's not his fault that he had a, re- a really weird situation. Like he he's done his thing. He's probably been hurt most, if not the entire time. He had all this situation, like going to Vandy and being becoming that famous and then getting overworked, but then also still pitching through it and then disappointing and everyone shitting on his draft stock because he wasn't the best pitching prospect we'd ever seen. And then all the circus with the Mets and with Boris and everything. He's just kind of been along for the ride. What's especially disappointing now is, even though I think over the last year we started to understand what his prospect stock was, he looked great to start this season. He was throwing pretty hard, and the slider was good. I know it was an A ball, but he was pitching well. And then, bam, now we go. And and it sucks. And you know the, the medical questions were there for a reason. Also with the shoulder, like I don't, I don't know. And I, now I will say this doesn't mean this is the end of Kamar Rocker. It's just for to go through all of this and end up here when he finally was back and pitching well after two years of just complete mess is that sucks. And you know now we're not going to see him for a while. So. I think it's totally legitimate to be like, was there a problem a year and a half ago that he could have gotten fixed during the time he was out, right? I think that's totally fair considering all the injury questions. Now, at the same time, what might have happened here is maybe super unrelated where he threw a slider in a ball and his arm went snap and like that sucks, right? Both of these things are true. I also think it's fair to be like, um, the bizarre path he took maybe didn't put him in the best position to succeed as a big leaguer, right? What it did do, and this is a, a, a really fascinating part of this, is that Scott Boris, his agent, squeezed every last freaking dollar he could have for Kamar Rocker from his signing bonus, right? Third overall pick, what did he get, like five? I five. Four, I mean, it was under slot, but it was still over five, I think. Yeah. Way more than anybody thought. And there's a legitimate conversation to be had. Like, what is the like balancing what's best for a player's on field career and squeezing every last drop that you can in a draft? Like, what would have been best for a rocker's career? You know, like for Boris to have found a different spot, like with the before the Mets took him for a little bit less money, where he could have gotten in a pro ball right away, probably, right? What was the most amount of money that he got is what he what he did, and he's going to be stable, financially secure because of that moving forward, no matter what happens to him. I this really sucks. I really like this guy. He's just like good kid man, and he he has doesn't deserve any of the things that have been happening to him, and like it's just a total bummer. And 
I hope that he can be dominating in a bullpen in, I guess, three years. Yep. In the Hopefully big leagues. We'll, we'll see him in 2025 or whatever. Um, so always rooting for him because, again, like he – for people that don't know him, it's easy to, to look at how it's unfolded and be like, what the fuck's going on over here? But he's an awesome kid and he – it's just – there was a – it is a very unusual sequence of events, a lot of it was out of his control. So wishing the best to Kamar. He is, he is, uh, he will hopefully be back. And, um, I think he'll still be a big leaguer someday. I feel pretty good about that. Uh, but unfortunately he is just the latest in a string of elbow injuries. Some of which have included Tommy John, some of which have just included, Hey, you're going to go take a nap for a while, or your elbow is going to go take a nap for a while. And, you know, Jeff Passon wrote about this through the first month. Like we are seeing a crazy amount of injuries. And I don't know if it is, this is, it just seemed like we are having more than usual and it's not unusual. A pitcher's break. We know that, right? Not even just the ones with the questionable medical history of like Kumar Rocker, guys who have been spotless and have never been on the IL are now hitting uh, the IL or getting TJ. Luis Garcia, we didn't mention that. That was a couple weeks back with the Astros. Tyler Malley, both of those guys getting TJ. Herman Marquez, who had been as durable as it gets over the last few years, getting TJ. And then Drew Rasmussen, Mason Miller, Max Fried also having forearm issues. And it's just a lot of really important pitchers on important teams. Like, I mean, can the Rockies make the postseason without Herman Marquez? I'm not sure. Uh, but honestly, yeah, like Freed being out and Tyler Malley and like Tyler Malley, who for the Twins pitching staff have looked awesome, like that could have made them even stronger. And Luis Garcia, I'm not as worried about Houston and Tampa because it's like whoever the hell they're going to call up from AAA, <laughs> I'm sure is going to be awesome. Like if you watch JP France, you probably know the Astros are going to be just fine. But this is a lot of important pitchers going down. And especially for Atlanta, I think Atlanta's one where if Freed's out for a considerable time, I know Bryce Elder's been amazing. That's a team I could totally see making a, a big trade for an arm too, because like they're they're it. I mean, they, they, if they're not the best team in baseball, they're second. But I'm that's why I'm fascinated, particularly with the Rasmussen and Freed injuries, because those are some of the best pitchers on the two best teams in the league. Yeah, but they're they're they both have enough of a cushion where I think they can give internal options mm-hmm. the chance to fail if they yep. need to. Yep. And so whether that's like Jared Schuster sure. or you know whomever Taj Bradley like mm-hmm. they'll be given a chance to fail also worth mentioning for Tampa is seems like glass now is about to be back um he's looked really good in AAA and I'm very excited to have him back in our lives uh so that'll be that'll be cool I know Jeff wrote about the new rules and the injuries and whatever I need more data I need more time I mean I just don't think we have enough of a sample here it makes some sense to me where it makes the most sense is like when you are a pitcher and you get tired on the mound, you overcompensate with other parts of your biomechanical chain, basically, of the of your movement. So, like, if you're pitching a lot of pitches in an inning and you're out of breath and, like, the pitch clock getting to you and your legs are exhausted, you're going to overcompensate with your arm. And that's where injuries come in. Like, and you'll see pitchers talk about this, like, oh, I had a foot thing, I had to make an adjustment, and it fucked up my arm. So, like... To me, that is where this could be a thing, but I do need more time before I feel con- conclusive on it. Yep, that's fair. Uh, so we'll we'll see how how those teams replace those pitchers, but it's unfortunate because I like watching all of them very much. All right, Jake, let's move on to a little goofier topic. Last night we had the NBA draft lottery. Did you watch on the plane? I did watch on the plane. I love the NBA draft lottery. Awesome. I will we not watch. I will not watch the NBA draft. <laughs> but I will always watch the NBA draft lottery. Yes. Draft lottery is some of the best sports television we have. And now, you know, we have draft lottery in baseball, 
which we can get to that in a second. But this was, of course, uh, a particularly notable one because in some ways it was also the draft because we got to immediately talk to the number one pick who knows exactly where he is going to go, unlike many drafts in history. And I know you wanted to bring up uh, Victor Wembanyama in relation to LeBron James, not comparing them whether he's the best prospect ever, but in a different way, because this is a baseball podcast, right? Yes. So Victor Wembanyama is a 7'5 athletic freakazoid from France with an eight-foot wingspan who moves like a point guard, basically, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's, he's really good at basketball. <laughs> but he is not just really good at basketball. He's, like, built on, like, like the closest body comp would be, like, young Kristaps Porzingis. Like, that's <laughs> what he know. looks I'm, I'm like. Not gonna, I'm not about to offer up, you know, put on my, you know, Jonathan Gavoni hat or whatever and start giving you NBA draft comps. If you you know who Victor Wembanyama is, if you're on Twitter, you know who this guy is. Yeah. I mean, to me, my first experience with Victor Wembanyama was when he played against Chet like two years ago or whatever, and it was like Chet already Chet Holmgren already looked like one of the stranger looking humans I'd ever seen, and then you saw this other guy that was just even more that. <laughs> and it was just very very surreal, right? So these are very unique athletic figure. We always talk about what would LeBron do as a baseball player. And I think it's a legitimate conversation because, like, LeBron played other sports growing up, and he's like a your prototypical awesome athlete. It'd be interesting to see how he would translate. I think Victor Wembanyama would be one of the worst baseball players of all time. So I think this is a good transition because LeBron, I think at six eight, but he's so big, he's huge, right? Like from in terms of bulk, and he's that that athletic. LeBron, you could make an argument where it's like, oh, he should be an outfielder, right? With Victor, I mean, he's on the mound or he's he's staying on the basketball court, right? As far as I'm concerned. But what do you think? You think that you you feel better about Victor as a hitter? Yeah. That's Here's my thought. Here's my thought. Ready? Ready? My thought with Wembenyama is you would put him like all the way back in the box and just rack up catcher's interferences. Okay, Dude, but he would now, be hitting the catcher in the head. He would be hitting. He'd probably be hitting the umpire if he was. <laughs> now the other, if you put him on a roster right now, I think there's great value for him. And here's where, first base. We're talking about a seven foot five guy yes. with an eight foot wingspan. Like a designated are, fielder. Yeah, we are stealing outs at first base. Take Victor Wembanyama, put him over there. He's flexible. He's going to be good around the bag, right? Like that's similar footwork to being in the paint. I, I love I, the idea of a not just a designated fielder. We've talked about that before, but specifically a defensive for a first base defensive specialist that you put in in the later innings. Like, because what you're saying, right? Like the stretching, right? Like it's just shorter throws, bigger range. I, I agree. You can make him the best. Now, now scoops maybe are a little more challenging, but presumably yeah. he's reaching far enough out that. Any infielder should be able to get it to him without a, a low throw. But a low throw, I, I'm I'm a little concerned. I'm telling my infielders, look, boys, we got a Victor Wembanyama at first. Don't fucking bounce it. That's what we're doing <laughs> right. in my program. I, I agree. I think defensively, no hope for him as a hitter, although I like your catcher's interference thing. I just think it's interesting because uh, I, I just wrote about uh, Yuri Perez at Fox. And seeing the – and now Yuri Perez is only 6'8". He's not 7'. Five, <laughs> but in terms of seeing someone that tall, that coordinated, and that loose, you know, if there was an athlete that maybe could achieve such a thing, that would be great. Now, here's my biggest concern: 
He's going to San Antonio where there's no major league team. Where is he going to throw out a first pitch? Is he he's going, going to throw straight to double A at the missions? He's going, yeah, he's oh going straight. My. Are they triple A? Do we? Okay. What is more likely? We see Victor Wembanyama throw out a first pitch at the San Antonio missions game or at any major league game. What do you think? I'll take the missions. Okay. God, that's so freaking hilarious. If you're the <laughs> imagine it's like, obviously the Spurs are amped, but the San Antonio missions right now, like the front office is like losing their mind because the Spurs won the letter. It's like, oh my God, what if we get Victor Wembanyama to come to a game? <laughs> oh, oh man. That'd be- because they're not going to have him go to the Astros or the Rangers because those teams are pissed that they didn't get it. You're right. Right, exactly. And also, like, if you're San Antonio, you're going to be, you got to be protective there, right? You got to be like, this is your guy. Uh, so I love it. I hope that, like, I know um, Dirk uh, had, he has like that that charity game in, in Frisco that he always does. I hope that Victor establishes a similar thing with the missions over in the coming years so that we can see him hold the baseball back. Because remember, we had one of our favorite moments in baseball basketball crossover history is Giannis. Giannis getting in the cage, right? So, and Victor's like five inches taller. So I would love to see. I, I think, do we see Victor Wojnowski in a baseball game in the next year? I think In the next year? No. Probably not. But I can't wait. I can't wait. So anyway, there's our NBA draft lottery coverage. All right. A uh, <laughs> couple more things here. Let's finish up with an email. We received an email. You can email us at baseballbarbacast at gmail.com, B-A-R-B-Cast. This email comes from Nathan. He says, hey, Jake and Jordan, huge fan of your work. Missed you guys during the regular season last year. Great to hear you making podcasts again. Thank you, Nathan. I missed us too during the regular season last year. Your Jordan and I didn't even get, we didn't even get to talk the whole time. I didn't talk to Jake all year. Nathan continues, your segment on Drew Smiley losing his perfect game when his catcher tackled him got me thinking, what's the worst way to lose a perfect game? For me, it would be a strikeout with the pass ball, allowing the batter to reach first base, either that or fan interference. What do you guys think? Oh, a strikeout with a pass ball? That would never happen, right, Jake? We'd never have seen that before. I don't know if Nathan was just making fun of you, but um, shouts out to Pedro Severino. We love you forever. Sorry, John Means. Shouts okay, out. So shouts out to John Means. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, uh, great question. What's the worst way to lose a perfect game? What do you think? I think it is very easy. Very easy answer for this question. Dribbler back to the mound. Pitcher picks it up, throws it over the first baseman's head, down the line, into the outfield for an error, a self-inflicted pitcher error Mm, right because it's not like the smiley one was it was a tough play for either the pitcher or the catcher but we're talking like a comebacker almost like an easy bounce back to the pitcher that you should flip it underhand and you just chuck it no no no. kind of like a dribbler down the first baseline like between that and the mound where the pitcher has time fields it fires to first throws it off the freaking right field foul pole mm-hmm. because if you know if your shortstop makes an error you can live with that because you know dude's doing his best not mad at him that's just the way the cookie crumbles but if you are the one who makes the dumb error that will stay with you mm-hmm. that will haunt you that I agree. will get to you i think that's a great answer i think now the answer is obvious now it's pitch clock violation i mean that's 
that's not even close. I don't even, I, and I hope, <laughs> sorry for even putting that into the universe, but like that, that is a pretty no brainer one. Although it's also funny to think about that in reverse, right? I know I'm kind of changing the question here, but imagine getting the perfect game on a pitch timer violation. How would that be viewed throughout oh. history? That would be pretty, pretty fascinating. Like if you're a hitter, if you really want to fuck up the bit of you, like especially if it's like you're down 10 nothing or whatever, and you're like, yeah, like is it more embarrassing for the pitcher to get it if I just stand here or if I just don't stand, get in the box for strike three? Oh, man, that'd be wild. That's but an I'm elite actually, troll move. It's funny because I, even if it wasn't the last out, I'm thinking about if there was a perfect game attempt with like a pitch timer or violation strikeout mixed in. Be curious how that would be kind of taken but we're, we're gonna see that at some point like literally that will be a talking point for sure um but that's i mean that's kind of a lame answer but that's that's certainly one that that comes to mind all right jordan i think that's our show i that's need to it. head over to the oakland coliseum <laughs> yeah what are you to up see? to today what are you up to today man so while the rest of my okay so i'm out here for my girlfriend's sister's wedding mm-hmm. so you know there's a lot of activity all week Today they're going to the do like a little rehearsal thing. I don't have to be there. And so I'm going to the Coliseum, baby. Me and a thousand of my closest friends here in Oakland will be in attendance for the A's Diamondbacks afternoon start at the Coliseum. Jordan Schusterman. Oh, what is your attendance prediction? So I believe on Monday night they set a record low attendance of like 2,000-something, lowest since 1979. They had over 3,000 last night for their big win, a uh, big comeback win against the Arizona Diamondbacks. Shouts out Ryan Noda. Today we got, I mean, a noon 12.30 local first pitch. I think it'll be more than Monday, but less than last night would be my guess. Um, but we will, very possible, it's yeah, like 1,500 people. You got Luis Medina uh, taking the hill against Ryan Nelson, our friend Luis Medina, one of our, our favorite conversations we had on the bike trip um, back in, in Somerset. So maybe you'll see Luis Medina throw 100 miles an hour, uh, but but you will be <laughs> you will be there. And I, I can't, so for those, we've been to there once, right? We, we, we uh, went to one game in Oakland, one of our early road trips back in uh, 2015, but it was just once. And uh, I mean, I remember it being pretty memorable there. And I know we just had some some quotes from Tony Kemp about how sad it is just because like the drummers aren't even out there in the outfield. And I remember that really well, right? We went out and sat out, sat out there and it wasn't particularly well attended when we went there, but even when the A's were still pretty good, but it, it it's still a cool environment, you know, when you do have those fans out there. So I'm curious, I'm curious to hear your report back and I guess we'll, we'll hear about it on Friday if you will be there. I think you will be there, yeah. Anything unique is interesting. Yes. And so I am very, very compelled. Yes. Uh, thank you all for listening to this episode of Baseball Barbacast. You can email us at baseballbarbacast at gmail.com. You can get your Barbacast merch. Merch. slash baseball. My brother and father were in attendance for the Orioles and Angels the other night. My brother was wearing his Barbacast hat and someone was like, hey, is that a Barbacast hat? And my brother was like, what's the Barbacast? Uh, no, just kidding. Uh, so that was cool. Uh, so if you want to get a, a hat of your own, you can you can find that information um, uh, on our Twitters. Again, podswag.com slash baseball for all that. But thank you to Chris Tyler for producing. Thank you, Jake, for doing this podcast with me. And we will talk to you all again on Friday. 
SiriusXM Podcasts.